you want to make a difference in yourself, you need a vision that bigger your family. You want to make a difference and be a leader in your family, you need a vision bigger your community. You want to make a difference in your community, you need a vision bigger your city. You want to be number one in the city, you need a vision bigger your state. You want to be number one in the state, need a vision bigger your nation. You want to be number one in the nation, need a global vision. If you want to make a global impact on this planet, you need an astronomical vision. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders. Rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Hey, listeners of Superhumans at Work podcast by Mind Valley. Give me a quick shout out to our regular listeners. If you're enjoying this content and all the episodes that have been coming up, be sure to leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. And if you're listening on any other platform, do connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Jason Mark Campbell and let me know what are your favorite episodes. What topics would you like us to bring up? We have incredible guests in the pipeline and we want to interact more with you. So can we bring you the type of content that you're looking for. And so we really appreciate the reviews. When you send those in, we get to reach more people who are looking for this kind of content where they can become superhumans at work themselves. So let's get started with this incredible episode and enjoy. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Campbell and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. Wow. I have a legend in the field with us today. Dr. John Demartini is going to come and share some important ideas when it comes to time management, energy management, and really being your best self and being highly productive in the workplace. Just looking at his track record makes you understand how this man can leverage his productivity to create an extraordinary amount of impact in the world. He has been traveling to over 56 countries and he's usually on the road for 360 days. He has addressed public and private institutions with over 11,000 people in the audience. And he has shared the stage with the likes of Sir Richard Branson, Stephen Cuffey, Steve Wozniak, Tony Fernandez, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, even Donald Trump. The man is a legend. And it was so difficult to go about what do we target as a topic to have everybody listen to this man today? Because get this, He is the author of over 40 books that have been published in over 14 languages. He has created over 72 different courses. And when we had this conversation just before going live, we said, you know what? With everything that you do, people would like to know the essence of what is it that Dr. John Demartini does that gives him all this energy, all this productivity to make such a huge impact that he does. And you're about to get this taste right now. Dr. John, thank you so much for being on the show with us. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. What an amazing legacy you have created. I mean, you've created the Demartini method. You've created so much content, so many courses, so many books. And this almost seems mind-blowing. Like for some people, the idea of writing a book seems impossible. You've done 40. And where has this journey started from? Like, How did you find yourself with this? Seems like an unfair advantage or a turbocharged productivity lever here. (laughs) I had learning problems as a child. I was told I was never going to be able to read or write, be able to communicate, never mount a thing, never go very far in life in first grade. I ended up dropping out of school, was a street kid from 13 to 18. And right before my 18th birthday, I was in Hawaii riding giant waves. I was a North Shore rat, a surf guy. I nearly died there. And right before the 18th birthday, I had the opportunity to meet an amazing man named Paul Bragg. 
And Paul Bragg in one hour, one night with one message, this one man really, really, really got to me. And I was so inspired that night. I thought with what this man just said, maybe I could overcome my learning problems and maybe I could someday become intelligent. I didn't read until I was 18. But that night, something really kicked into gear. And I saw a dream and a vision, which is painted in my office today. I have a famous painter that painted the picture that I saw that night. I had a dream to overcome my learning problems and become somebody who could read, somebody who could speak properly, because I had to go to speech pathologist as a child. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to learn, and I wanted to share whatever I found that could make a difference in people's lives. And later, when I was about 20, Zig Ziglar said, if I help enough other people get what they want to get in life, I can get what I want to get in life. So I had a dream to do that and step foot in every country on the face of the earth. I've actually spoken now in 100, well, in two weeks, it'll be 155 countries. So I've been doing it, and our books are now in 37, maybe 38 languages very shortly. So we, we just keep growing. I still got 50-something countries to reach. I just had a dream to do that, and I've been relentless in my pursuit to learn everything I can get my hands on. I've been blessed now, once I learned how to read, to read over 30,360 books. I keep records of them. And I just love learning and I love sharing. And thats I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. I do about 1,000 interviews a year. I do about 350 presentations a year. And I travel full time because this is what I love doing. This is so inspiring. This is so amazing because, you know, people who haven't had any kind of learning disability still can't see the potential of doing all the incredible things that you have done. And so for people listening, do we need to have this kind of setback to make us appreciate what potential we have? Or is there a way we can hack through it or break through it? Like, what can we do? Well, you know, I teach a program called the Break to Experience, and I do everything I can in that program to help people do that, to find that mission, the why that's big enough to make all the house come true. You don't have to have a cataclysmic event in your life to get it. I've learned how it's awakened, so I know how to do that. So it doesn't matter what your background is. What matters is you start applying the principles. But I'd like to share, if possible today, something that really was a turning, well, I wouldn't say a turning point, but a catalyst that helped me expand and go to a kind of another level. It really made a difference. If I could share that, I just think it would help everybody. I think that would be lovely. And I love what you said, is having a why that's strong enough to make all the hows line up. Is that how you said it? Yeah, how that house come true. When the why is big enough, the house take care of themselves, I always say. So what happened was, I'm 27. I wanted to be a teacher, healer, and philosopher, so I studied healthcare. I just graduated. I'm now getting starting my practice. It's 1982, and I'm 27 years old, and I don't really know much about business. I mean, I had a few little business kind of things, but I've been speaking already. I started speaking when I was 18, but I really didn't know business savvy. And I went to Walden's Bookstore, which is a competitive to the other bookstores at the time. And I went in there and I bought this book by Alec McKenzie called The Time Trap. Because I seemed to want to do everything myself and I was unwilling to delegate and I was trapping myself doing low priority things. And I wouldn't say burning out because I got a lot of energy, but I was just not feeling like I was reaching my full potential. I read this book and I summarized it because I used to read books rapidly and summarize them. I put together a little chart that I applied for myself. And I really want to share it because I have shared it with people from governments to corporates to individuals of different walks, and I've seen the impact. 
And if I could do that, if everybody who's listening could get a piece of paper out and put five lines down it vertically to make six columns. And imagine that you can picture that. And on the far left column, I want you to write down every single thing you do in a day. Now, not broad topics and vague generalities like marketing, but the actual action steps that you do in a day. I did this at age 27, almost 28, and I wrote down everything, personal and professional. I divided them up into the things that were at work and the things at home. And I went down to the nitty gritty, every little daily action I did. Over a three month period, I condensed it into this one series of pages. It was more than one page because putting it all on there took many pages. So anything I might do over a three month period, I wrote it down and I made this list. And it was making calls, it was doing paperwork, it was checking up on supplies, it was everything, it was exams, it was anything I did clinically. And I made a list of every single thing I did from examinations to re-examinations, to report of findings, to consultations, to narrative reports, everything that a doctor went through. Calling on administrative work, I mean, everything. And I looked at that list and as I was making that list, there was already some insights coming. I was going, wow, I'm spending a whole lot of time on stuff being busy, but not necessarily being the most productive. And I'm also doing things that aren't really the most important and ones that are beneath my educational standard. So I had some insight. So just writing it down, there's a bit of reflection. Then in the second column, after I made this exhaustive list, and I mean, I was down to the nitty gritty. I then wrote down, how much does each thing produce per hour? Because making money is means that you're doing some sort of sustainable action that's in equity with another individual that they're willing to pay for that meets their need. So I was measuring the productivity per hour by how much does it actually produce per hour? And I noticed that the exams were $125 times about 10 minutes each. I multiplied times six to give me an hour. So six times 125 is roughly, you know, $750 per hour. Then I did narratives and I was $400 an hour. Then I did blood work, which was $400 an hour. And I just, and I went down every single thing that I did. And I put a dollar value, the best extrapolation I could. And sometimes if I spent five minutes on it, I'd multiply it times 12. If I spent two hours, I'd divide by half to get an average dollar per hour. When I went through this, that was very revealing because that was very evident that I was majoring in minors and minors and majors. I wasn't doing the 20% that gave me 80% results. I was just filling my day and being busy instead of productive. It was disheartening because I really made an insight and a discovery on that. I realized that when I was out doing a presentation at a breakfast club or a luncheon club locally, and I was doing a presentation that I would generate sometimes five to eight new patients. And each patient case average was around $3,000. So I would go out and do a 30, 40 minute presentation and spend a whole hour in total. And I could make $15,000 in that hour if I'm doing that. And I'm in my office that I spent 10 years of college to go through doing clinical work I might make 1500 an hour. And that was a real paradox because here I am going to all this education to be my specialty. And that's actually not the most productive thing I could be doing in my specialty. And that was a real jolt. And then I realized that, wow, after I made a list of everything I did, and then I prioritized it according to productivity, I rearranged it according to which produced the most down to least. And it was a shocker. 
I was realizing that, man, what I thought I was going to be doing that was important wasn't really the most financially viable, productive thing I could do, which made me realize that it would be wiser for me to go out and generate 15,000 an hour and do that in the morning and do that at lunch and hire people to do the clinical work and then train them to do the clinical work instead of me being trapped in that little cubicle all day. And that was a real thing because I had an identity crisis between here's my profession and who I am to be. And yet here, that's not really the most productive thing I could be doing. And it was a real kind of a, am I a healer? Am I here to help the most amount of people heal? You know, it was like a real identity thing. Then the next column, the third column was, how much meaning does each of these actions do? And I found that on a one to 10 scale, a high meaning, a 10, was something that would brought a tear to my eye to get to do. And that was important. And then things that were less meaningful down to a one or a zero, I made a list, and then I reprioritized that list after I finished it. And there were quite a few things on that list. There's over 100 things on that list that I was doing this with. And I reprioritized it with meaning because I want to do the thing that's most meaningful and most productive. And I found that sometimes going and doing a complimentary talk to a high school of 2,000 kids and inspiring them at the age that my life changed when Paul Bragg got to me. It was very meaningful to me and brought tears to my eyes doing it, but it didn't make the biggest money, but it might down the line become patient generating. But I then prioritized that to the things that brought tears to my eyes where I couldn't wait to go to work and I want to tap dance to work because when you can't wait to go to work, people can't wait to get your service. And that's just an important component too. I looked at the meaning and then I looked at where high meaning matched high productivity. And then I reprioritized that to look at what is the most meaningful and most productive things I could be doing, to look at something that I can't wait to get up in the morning and do that I'm inspired by and enthused about doing, and people are going to want to get that, and it's going to produce the greatest results. Then I put another column there, number four, of how much does it cost to delegate that? And I mean every cost, not just the salaries, but the training cost, the paper cost, the computer cost, down to the paperclip. I was a very detailed person. I'm a very analytical person that I need to be. And I brought it down. I want to know every cost. And then I made a list of all the costs if I delegated that particular action. And then I reprioritized that based on spread, the difference between the actual productivity per hour versus cost per hour and meaning per hour versus cost per hour to get a now even a more clear idea of what it is for me to delegate and what for me to do that inspires me, et cetera. Then the fifth column was how much time is actually spent on it. And I had to be really honest because I really was distorted in my idea of how much time was. And I actually started testing my time and putting timers on every procedure to find out what it actually was because I had a completely distorted view of what it was. And I got really clear about the time spent. And then after I got all that data, I then in the final column, the sixth column was reprioritizing the entire thing. So I reprioritize it based on all the variables and I summarize it and I put it into layers, into 10 layers. And then I made a job description for the most bottom layer and delegated the lowest priority things, the lowest meaning, the lowest productivity, the ones that would give me the greatest spread first. And I worked my way up slowly but surely over an 18 month period of delegating every single thing off my plate, except speaking in front of groups of people, training the doctors, educating them on doing it and gathering research from the doctors and doing what is absolutely the thing that is my greatest skill, that one thing that I'm the greatest at. 
and let go of the other things and train them and set the standards and get out and be the visionary to inspire the people to come in to get the service. And that led me to having my own TV show on health and radio shows. And that led me to then lecturing to health professionals. We went from an office that might see 60 to 100 patients a day. I was able to see 3 million people a year by the leverage factor that I was doing. And that exposed me around the world. And that opened up doorways to speak around the world. And I started duplicating that, not in my own business, in my own profession, but in other professions. And I ended up with five doctors and 12 staff members from just me and one assistant, five doctors and 12 staff members in a tenfold increase in my business in 18 months. So I just had to share that because it really makes a difference because if sometimes what we do is we're not doing the things that are really truly highest on our values. And if we don't fill our day with high priority actions that inspire us, our day fills up with low priority distractions that don't. And anytime we're doing the highest priorities, our self-worth goes up, our space and time horizons go up, our natural leadership emerges, our objective executive center gets blood glucose and oxygen and comes online, our vision becomes clearer, our strategic planning becomes more refined, our desire to execute becomes more inspired, and our self-governing aspect governs our amygdala and keeps us from being distracted. And we maintain an amazing focus and momentum building resilience. It's so critical to give yourself permission to live by the highest priorities and say no to things that are distracting because everybody's going to project their values onto you and everybody's going to want you to do what they think is important. And you have to be diplomatically say no and thank you. No, I'm on a mission. I'm a man on a mission. And to not be swayed by the illusions of success and failure, because those things are delusions. Success depurposes you. Failure repurposes you. Neither one of those are the answer. They're feedback systems to an individual on a mission. And the mission is the expression of what's most meaningful, most inspiring, and what's highest on the value that serves the most people with the most productivity. And that little tool is a a gem. I brought that into governments, and I went to Tehran and introduced that and changed management principles in there to help them. And I've done that in corporations and small entrepreneurs that are small starting outs. I don't know of anybody that can't benefit from that. That's why I wanted to share that. Thank you so much. This is amazing. I mean, throughout the time that you were speaking, I actually created a little table on a document here and I wrote down absolutely everything you said because this is the most prescriptive way I've ever seen to be able to find the task to really automate your work, delegate it, and really rise up to doing more important tasks. It's impressive. And for anybody listening, I would suggest that you go back to the beginning of this episode if you didn't do this chart to really take the time to write this down. And I know you can probably find this graph somewhere on the internet, but I highly recommend that you do exactly what Dr. John Demartini told you, which is grab a piece of paper and write down what he said so you have a bit better emotional connection to the importance of what happens when you do this. And fascinating enough, it's so funny that just before we got on this interview, I was actually working with my teammate who actually I'm working through the process of helping him be more automated in his work. And I've been using a lot of process documentation methodology, but I've never seen this way be done in such a prescriptive way. So I'm going right back to him, showing him this method so that not only I can apply it, but he can apply it. Which was the question I wanted to ask you is that 
if I'm an employee within a company, what would happen? Like, there's a fear that could come, which is like, oh my God, if I do that, will the company think I'm lazy? Like, what can I do within the context of a company if I apply this? Am I eliminating my own job? Because that seems scary. No, an individual, nobody goes to work for the sake of a company. They go to work to fulfill what they value most. And every individual has a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most important to least important in their life. And it's unique, it's like a fingerprint. And it's changing as they're evolving. And whatever's highest on the value, they're spontaneously inspired to act on. This is where they're going to excel. And whatever's lowest on the value, they're gonna require extrinsic motivation and incentives to get them to do it because they'll procrastinate, hesitate, and frustrate on their lowest values and they're disciplined, reliable, and focused on their highest. So if an individual cannot see how the job description or the mission, vision, and primary objectives of a company are helping them fulfill their highest value, they'll be disengaged. And when they're disengaged, they're gonna be looking at the clock, wanting to take dissociated breaks, wanting to get stimulants and coffee to get their amygdala fired back up again because they're down, because anytime they're doing things low on their values, their energy level drops as a mechanism and a feedback mechanism to let them know that they're not being authentic in that moment. And it's trying to get them back into their highest value where they excel. Now, if all of a sudden you start wisely managing your time and you delegate lower priority things and you get onto the highest productive things for a company and for yourself, so now you have something meaningful and you're inspiring, you're only going to get elevations in the company because whoever is most effective and efficient in the company is going to be the one that's indispensable. And if the company doesn't recognize that, you're going to learn the skills to become an entrepreneur. And if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to be able to make more money with less expenses in the long run. See, people that work for other people pay the most taxes. People that work for themselves pay less taxes. And people who have valued themselves to invest majority of their income for long-term capital gains and appreciable asset building pay the least taxes because the long-term capital taxes, gain taxes are only 20%. So you literally make your life easier by living by priority and going from working for others deontologically by duty into ontological by design and laying out as the executive visionary to set up the design. And when you do and you reward yourself and have your money work for you, you won't have to be working for money all your life. To me, the purpose of financial independence is not for a glitzy life. That's meaningless. Money without meaning is debauchery. But money with meaning is philanthropy and the love of human beings and the service of human beings is what fulfillment is. And by doing something to build financial independence, it allows you to do what you love because you don't have to. You do it because you love to. And so you're not going to lose your job in the process of doing it. If you care about the company and use the company wisely, you may take over the positioning of the company and become leader of the company because you're more effective and efficient than anybody else. And nature automatically rewards efficiency and effectancy. And so people that are willing to live by congruently with what they value most and most authentic arise into leadership position by exemplification. And Einstein said that exemplification is the greatest teacher of all. And it automatically arises spontaneously into leadership position. Hey, I feel like I need to say amen at the end of everything you say, because you are preaching to the choir and I love what you're saying. I even think of my own example, like I work for Valley, and I remember the time that I decided to join Valley. I looked at what Vision was doing and I'm like, this bus is going somewhere exciting that's making the kind of impact that I want to see in the world. And I love that crazy big vision. I want to ride along. I want to play a part. And this is perfect for me. 
And knowing that I don't have the attachment financially, but I'm really motivated because it actually attaches to the meaning that I have, which is an exercise we even do in the workplace, then I'm highly motivated. And I was speaking to my colleague when he said like, oh my God, like if I automate, you know, this core piece, he had some attachment to a piece that gave significance to his position. I told him, listen, if you actually train the skill to be able to automate, delegate, delete the task and really work on this, you're going to find yourself in even higher leverage positions working on more creative projects. And then it started catching on. But I can't wait for him to access this specific, which I see how magical this is. And I'm pretty sure everybody else listening in is thinking the same. But I was going to ask one question, which is once I've automated, delegated, I've really optimized my productivity and I can do the work that would take me, let's say, 60 hours a week. I can do it in 20 hours a week. What fills up the extra time? What naturally takes up the next time? And how do I ensure that I don't fill it with distraction? Well, when you're liberated from uninspiring things, you become more lucid in your vision of opportunity and service. Let me give an example. Let's say you have a boy who's 12 years old and he loves video games. And his highest values is video games. His lowest values is chores, his homework, and his, you know, cleaning his room. His mother and father have to motivate him with, you can't play those video games until you clean your room. And if you don't clean your room, you don't get to play. So they're using external motivation to get him to do the things they want. But he is intrinsically called to do his video games. So whenever you liberate yourself from things that are uninspiring, you spontaneously love doing the things that are inspiring. So nobody has to motivate me to do what I do, research and teach and travel the world. Those are the three things that are highest on my values. And I learned a long time ago. So you don't have to go, oh, I need motivation to go do those things. Distraction, many people that are confusing distraction need a real mind awareness here. When you're trying to subordinate to somebody that you put above you and inject their values into your life and try to envy them and imitate them because you're too humble to admit what you see in them is inside you, and you're playing small, you inject their values, which Freud called the superego, which moralizes you and makes you feel self-depreciated because you can't sustain the actions of others with your values. That's why if you're a cat trying to swim like a fish, you're gonna beat yourself up. Or if you're a fish trying to climb a tree like a cat, you're gonna beat yourself up. But if you honor the magnificence of who you are and you live congruently with your highest values and you delegate the lower priority things, you are spontaneously called in love to go after the things that are most meaningful and important. And if it's those things that are most productive and meaningful, then you will automatically go to the next level, which will take the company to new expanded levels, which will then force you every quarter to do the exercise again, to now look at what is priority and keep expanding yourself and building momentum. I used to live in Trump Tower and we lived underneath the Donald. And Donald, we were going down the elevator one time and he said something to me very significantly. He said, you want to stick and find that one thing, as Gary Keller says in his one thing, that one thing that is most meaningful, most important, and stick to it and become the greatest at it. So you build momentum and a brand that people identify. And that was very important because I, I was doing that sort of anyway, but I really became cognizant of it and really applied it. And I want to delegate everything else away. All I do is research, write, travel, teach. I haven't driven in 31 years. I haven't cooked since I was 24 years old. People joke about it and say, I even delegate sex to my girlfriend, to professionals that know what they're doing. Jokingly, that's not <laughs> true, but that's a joke. But the point is, I delegate everything. I got a funny story. Can I say it? We're going to mark an explicit to get people curious as to what the hell are we talking about? 
Okay, so here I am. I fly in from Australia. I did a tour in Australia. I come back into Houston, Texas. I have an office in the top of Williams Tower in Houston, the Galleria. It's been there for 34 years. I come in there. I get there at about 7.30 in the morning. The rest of the people come in around 8. I'm in my office. I forgot to unlatch the door. So when they came in, it was still locked. So they assumed nobody was there. But I was quietly working in my office on my computer. In come a team, a lovely girl named Rhonda and her husband named Keith. And they come in and they go, well, he's coming back today. Get ready for the whirlwind. When he comes in, man, the delegations come flying. And then they, they say, we do damn near everything except wipe his butt. And so I heard that in the back. They didn't know I was back there. And so I pulled out a delegation sheet and put a paper clip on it and took some tissue paper and attached it. And I told him that at 1030, wipe my butt. (laughs) (laughs) I I dropped off the delegations to his office and it took about three or four minutes before he read down and he caught it and he just burst into laughter. And he came in and said, so you heard what I said? I said, I did. He said, that's funny. But it's true that if you're doing anything other than the things that are most meaningful, most productive, and most inspiring, you're going to weigh yourself down and you're gonna move in the direction of a quiet life of desperation instead of a life of inspiration. So I don't do anything except interviews, write, research, and teach. And I teach most every day because that's what I love doing. And you don't wanna have, you know, most people have a Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Fridays and week friggin' ends. And to me, that's insanity. That's a sign you're not doing something that's meaningful and inspiring to you. Because your vocation is your vacation when you're doing something you love to do. I was uh, having dinner with Bill Pollock, who owns Drake International, founded Drake International many years ago, 1951. We went across from the Four Seasons in Sydney to this French restaurant. We were having dinner. He said to me, he said, you know, in 1951, I started my company and I've never worked a day since. He says, when I found out what my mission was, what I love doing, I've worked seven days a week doing what I love doing, and I don't think anything of it. It's just what I love doing. And he's a wealthy billionaire. He's 90 years old today. And he still does 18-hour days, 17-hour days, 16-hour days. He loves it. And you would never know his age. You'd think he's probably 60. And I found that your aging is a feedback mechanism to let you know you're not living by the highest value, most congruently and authentically with the most integrity. You have entropy instead of negentropy. Negentropy is life physics, as Erwin Schrodinger says in his book, What is Life? And entropy is death physics. And anytime you're not living by your highest values and you're down in your amygdala, you're going to want to avoid predator and seek prey. You're going to be into a survival mode. Instead of being present, you're going to be separating space and time and adding space and time to your mind and aging. And your physiology is creating symptoms as a feedback to let you know you're not authentic. I always say your physiology, your psychology, your sociology, and even your theological construct in almost every area of your life is offering you feedback and is trying to show you how everything is on the way to get you authentic. And the wisdom is living by priority, and you get rewarded in every area of your life because you have more vitality, you have a greater fight, you know, health potential and quotient, you have huge stress instead of distress, you have more productivity, more income, you're more equitable with people, you're more in sustainable exchanges with people. I mean, the world rewards people who are living authentically. I'd rather have the whole world against me than my own soul. And the soul's guiding me intuitively to live by that authentic path of great service that leaves its immortal legacy. Heraclitus, the Greek philosopher, beautifully, 2,500 years ago, he wrote books and information about how to awaken up the immortal part of your life. And every time you're living by your highest values, 
your space and time horizons grow. And once they grow from day to week to month to year to generation to decade and generation into to century and to millennium to the soul level of eternity, you automatically, once you have a vision and dream that's beyond your immortal life, you leave a legacy. And he was talking about that back in his times, back in the fifth century BC. And it's still solid today. You know, if you want to make a difference in yourself, you need a vision as big as your family. You want to make a difference and be a leader in your family, you need a vision as big as your community. You want to make a difference in your community, you need a vision as big as your city. You want to be number one in the city, you need a vision as big as your state. You want to be number one in the state, you need a vision as big as your nation. You want to be number one in the nation, you need a global vision. If you want to make a global impact on this planet, you need an astronomical vision. And your soul calls you an astronomical vision, a celestial view, not a terrestrial judgment. I was sitting and having dinner with Rupert Murdoch and his daughter, Denise, and her husband and my wife many years ago. And I asked Rupert, you know, what is it that helped you build your empire, your News Corp empire? And he said something that really matched something I was doing already, but he really said it clearly. He says, I have a globe in my office and I hold it in my hand and I twist it around. I spin it around and I say, what message do I want to bring to what part of the world today? And he stands out from a celestial view, looking down on the earth Because when you do, you have the overview effect, as astronauts have seen, and they love the Earth. They don't judge it. They love it. And from that perspective, they have a a more expanded mind, and they're able to see solutions to so-called problems that aren't really problems, but they seem to be to people who have a narrow mind. And he's able to do that. And and in my office, I have clocks from around the world, and I have maps around the world, and I have this globe of an astronomical globe. And I've written books on astrophysics and cosmology and things to expand my mind and look outside so the earth is small so I can realize that earth is a a marble to play things with, you know? And then that way you you realize that the the universe is your playground, the world is your home, every country is a room in the house, and every city is a platform to share your heart and soul. And I live on a ship called the world that travels the world. That's why I, I don't have to be in any one place because instead of walking from room to room, I fly. Instead of talking to somebody, I Skype. It's just a different view. Ed Tullison told me, never live where you can't see the farthest horizons. Always live where you have nothing blocking your view except the vastness of eternity and infinity. And then when you do, then your normal daily life transcends to a place where you're actually grateful and graced by the opportunity to serve vast numbers of people. Everybody listening, are you woken up yet? This was amazing. Dr. Demartini, thank you so much for coming here. And where we came in, with an idea, a powerful system that allows us to automate, delegate, prioritize, and really give us the step-by-step on what we can do to see ourselves have more time, more freedom. And here we are ensuring that for everybody that's on that journey, we have a why that can be as expansive as our imagination. And really, once you start being more conscious of your time and honoring the energy, and you start applying it to making the bigger impact, your vision continuously grows. And I think that for everybody listening here, This has been one of the most powerful episodes to really get people to understand that it starts with the optimization on your routine and it leads to an impact that can be even bigger than you could have ever imagined before. And so I am left here not only massively inspired, but also very action ready with this template that you gave us. And so for everybody listening, remember, make a log of everything you do daily and be specific. Log it for up to three months if necessary. And here's what I would advise for everybody is start today. When you get into the office, start logging immediately. This is not something you want to procrastinate on. 
And as you start building this log, you'll then be able to move to the other columns, which is how much does this thing produce per hour? What is the revenue generated from that task? What meaning does each of these things do? Rank it one to 10, 10 being the best. How much does it cost to delegate, associate a cost, and then see the spread. Make sure that the revenue minus the cost so you can actually have the maximum leverage. See exactly how much time you actually spend and ensure that you're liberating your time and working with focus and of course finalize with a massive reprioritization of everything and you will clearly be able to see how you can become extremely effective extremely efficient and such a beautiful way to honor the energy that we have on a daily basis so you can go through the day the week the month the quarter the year making the biggest impact possible and truly leaving a dent in the universe what i particularly loved as well is that hey you might be in a position where you're in a job and this is fine reassess and reconnect with the vision and mission of that company because if you see yourself being aligning with that and it actually attaches to your own meaning then you know there's still some room for you to grow there there are some ways that you can delegate what you're doing and rise within the organization do not fear the loss of your role as you become highly efficient you will now become a highly productive person that will be indispensable in the future of the organization and if you see that you have that disconnect it might be a time to have a conversation with a supervisor and maybe even consider the new new entrepreneurial venture you've always wanted to do since you are now a highly efficient person able to generate massive impact by yourself. Dr. John Demartini, thank you so much once again for coming on the show and blowing our minds and sharing this practical tool. And for everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.